Welcome to another episode of the Missed Opportunities Podcast. I am your host, Billy Marshall. Unfortunately, I will not be joined by Scott or Danny on this episode, but I will be joined by two special guests who will help preview the new coordinators of the Carolina Panthers. So it's been about a month since our last episode, so I want to recap the events that have happened since then. The Panthers, they fired Ron Rivera. They went on a coaching uh, search to find their next head coach. They interviewed three candidates. They were Mike McCarthy, Eric Bieniemy, and Matt Rule. They were also scheduled to meet with Kevin Stefanski and Josh McDaniels. But before they could get to the that, they ended up hiring former Baylor coach Matt Rule. I wasn't a big fan of Mike McCarthy, but outside of that, I wasn't married to one candidate over the other. However, I thought that Rule was an excellent choice. He did a pretty good job of rebuilding two programs in Temple and Baylor. Neither school is a college football powerhouse, but he had both programs in their conference title games by the third year. He did win the title game with Temple in his fourth year, which was his last year. Uh, you know, He has experience adapting his coaching style in two totally different conferences. The AAC has a blend of smash mouth and explosive offenses, but I think the Big 12, most people would know, is known for creating high-powered offenses year after year. And rules show that despite talent gap at Baylor, they were able to recruit players who had a certain athletic profile and who would fit their program to a T. And so hopefully he can bring over those same philosophies to the NFL because for so many years, the Panthers have never really valued athletic performance when drafting players. I just think it's a coincidence that they draft really good players uh, in the first round. They don't really have like a system uh, that they follow. And you're seeing the best teams in the NFL. They follow like an athletic grading system uh, when they're evaluating players. So hopefully Rule can bring that over to Carolina because they desperately need it. So in addition to that, the Panthers made two key hires with their coordinator positions, Joe Brady and Phil Snow. And both guys were nominees for the Broyles Award, which goes to the top coordinator in college football uh, in 2019. Joe Brady did end up winning the award, but it has to be said that Phil Snow did a pretty admirable job of scheming an effective defense to combat the high-powered offenses in the Big 12. And we'll get into more of that shortly with our two guests, Seth Galena, who will preview Joe Brady, and Cody Alexander, who will help me preview uh, Phil Snow's defense. And then finally, I just want to get to one more piece of news. Uh, it, it was reported that, and it was confirmed that Luke Keekley had retired from the NFL on Tuesday. And you know, I will always be a massive fan of his on and off the field. You know, he was a, an elite linebacker for so many years, but yeah, as he said farewell in his in this farewell video, he felt that he couldn't continue playing at high level. So he definitely deserves respect for going out on his terms. And unfortunately, this game is brutal, and concussions are a big part of it. So. Yeah, he will always have, you know, a very big part of what this franchise was and he'll always be part of the, the history of it, the team. So it does seem like he wants to be part of the NFL and coaching still. I think it was reported that he wants to get into consulting or coaching and yeah, watching the all or nothing video that was from Amazon that was that came out in the summer. He he seems like a really really smart guy. So I wouldn't be shocked if he went into into scouting either and you know, who knows? He'll definitely have a job with the Panthers, or maybe he goes and joins McDermott in Buffalo or Ron Rivera in Washington. Uh, but I think the image many will look back on is this Thursday night game against the Saints where he was sobbing off the field while you know, he was in that cart. And that just, you know, unfortunately just gives you a glimpse of 
what this game is about that we love. It's awesome, but the dangers are prevalent as well. So with that, uh, we're going to have more podcasts as the offseason continues to go on. But uh, I want to get to these interviews, and hopefully you guys enjoyed. But uh, hopefully we'll be back later. But without further ado, here's the first interview. All right. Well, happy to be joined now by SB Nation's Seth Galina. does a really good job covering the Saints and LSU football. How are you today? I'm fantastic. I haven't come off, come down from my uh, national championship high, so uh, I'm feeling good. <laughs> yeah, it was it was, cr- it was quite crazy. I saw them; they were their buses were uh, driving around DC yesterday as I was leaving work, and they had like a pretty huge, uh, you know, police escort with it. So that was pretty interesting to see. But uh, but yeah, I mean, um, I want to get into discussing Joe Brady and you know, obviously what he meant to the program last year, uh, offensively, and kind of the dynamic that. Him and uh, Emzinger, I think is his name. How they kind of worked yeah. off each other, and obviously you have a pr- really good, uh, you know, foundation of uh, the principles that the Saints uh, produce. So uh, we'll get into that here. But just going back last year, this time last year when this open or this hire was made, like, what was your like initial like thoughts about? Did you just kind of brush it off, or were you like actually excited uh, when they did hire Brady? No, I think I was very excited because, you know, we knew that um, Ensminger was getting up there in age and, and he wasn't the long-term hire, uh, the long-term offensive coordinator for LSU. So when they bring in Brady and, you know, they give him the title of passing game coordinator, which, you know, in a lot of places, that's, that's kind of really what the OC is these days. Um, and like the O-line coach is the, you know, the NFL, it's like pass game OC is the pass game coordinator and like the, mm-hmm. the, the O-line coach is the run game coordinator. So when they gave him that title, um, I, I thought, okay, this is going to change. Like they're not doing what they did last year or, or the year before or whatever, or the past, you know, 35 years. Um, like they're, they're changing it. It's, it's going to be, it's going to be a little bit more dynamic. And so I was excited, and obviously it turned out um, that um, that's exactly what they did. Yeah, and I think the interesting thing for me, especially as I learned it um, as the year went on, was what sort of dynamic did him and Emzinger play? Like, who was the one calling plays? Uh, who was the one kind of you know in charge of like red zone stuff like that? So they said that Emzinger called the plays, except for special situations. So that might mean red zone. That mean, might mean two minute. I'm not actually sure. Uh, so he did, but he did do some play calling uh, throughout the season, throughout each game. Uh, so it wasn't just Edsvinger's show. And honestly, when you look at the offense, I mean, there's so many stuff that that's taken directly from the Saints, that, and a lot of stuff that just wasn't there anymore from 2018 to 2019. That and that was Edsvinger's offense in 2018. That. You just you know that Brady had such a huge influence on everything they did uh, to create, you know, one of the best offenses in college football history. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, it was it was really fun to watch, especially just with their skill, talent, and obviously Burrow played an exceptional level. Uh, so going into their offense, I know there's been talk about like how many you know, concepts he's brought over from the Saints. And there's also been some discussion about what he's kind of taken from Joe Moorhead, who he worked under at Penn State. 
Uh, can you break that down to me? Like what, what's like their base, you know, concepts and what sort of, you know, what did it kind of target, especially in the passing game, obviously. So one of the things they did um, a lot that they kind of half took from the Saints is their, their three by one or three by two stuff where, you know, they would put Jamar Chase as the, uh, as the kind of lone receiver to the, to, the, to the weak side and then have the back either offset in the backfield to that side or sometimes he would split out also uh, to the weak side with Chase. And what they were doing was running a lot of, you know, so the Saints run, um, and if, <laughs> if you follow me on Twitter, uh, you know I talk about this a lot, um, the weak side option route or, or choice route. So where they give kind of the, the running back or whoever split out in the slot uh, to the weak side um, an option to go basically slant, out, or hook. And so, so, so Brady took that, and they did have that in their offense, but what they kind of did was kind of pare it down a bit and really just have the back automatically fly to the flat a lot of times. And then the receiver was in a tight split, and he would run a corner route. So you got to, um, you know, I call it flat seven, but it's really just a, just a smash concept. And what they could do with right. that is run that to the weak side and then have a bunch of routes that kind of came into Burrow's – because Burrow would start on the weak side and then a bunch of routes that would come back into Burrow's vision from the strong side going weak. So whether it was uh, any type of you know, triple slant combination, whether it was um, a shallow and a, and, a, and a dig basic route, uh, so Burrow could kind of work from that side all the way back over to the front side if he needed to. And they threw that corner out a bunch. They threw the flat route a bunch. It was a good way to um, find hot receivers because he could always just get the ball out to the flat really quickly, um, especially since the LSU was in a lot of five-man protection. So they needed um, they needed to know where their hot routes were at all times. And Burrow was really good at that. So that I think that's the main thing that he took. Right. You know, looking forward – Next year in Carolina, I, you could see him probably go back to more of the the weak side option stuff with Christian McCaffrey. Um, so, like I said, they did run it with with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and and some other guys, but he he didn't run it as much as the Saints did. So, I think maybe going back to the NFL, you know, maybe a higher, um, you know, more um, you know football IQ from the from the whole team there, they might go back to that um, like the Saints do. That was kind of like the main, yeah. No, go right. ahead. Yeah, no, I, that 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 sounds right, and um, I mean that certainly when I watched them live, uh, that that's sort of what I took from it too. But you know, I was really impressed, sort of like how he was able to get uh, the running back in space. And there, there was that one touchdown, obviously, that I posted the other day, what uh, against Alabama, uh, the mm. you know when Clyde's, I think it was the halfback corner out that yeah. uh, twenty-two ran. Um, um, so essentially, like. It's sort of those sort of stuff to find backs in space that, you know, really kind of resonate with this offense. Well, uh, depending on who the quarterback is, and it, how was like the passing game, especially to like the running backs? Because obviously, as you probably know, Kamara is like a really good uh, pass catching back for the Saints. So, yeah, the, you know they they use them a lot. Like I said, on that weak side option stuff. Right. What was interesting was they 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 split them out to the field a lot, 
and they would go four by one empty. That I mean, that whether he takes takes that with him to to the Panthers remains to be seen because it's not something the the Saints really ever do. And really, I'm, I it was I I wanted to actually go and, and try and find all those clips for the year of when they go four by one because I'm still not exactly sure what the whole point was, and I want to figure it out. But I think maybe it was just to get a get you know pretty easy man zone read, and then kind of just mess with the defense fits you know kind of passing game cover um, uh, distribution a bit by having four guys there. I mean, I, I guess I'm not really sure. So that he did a lot of, but he, they didn't throw it to the running back when he went there. Right. Like I said, when he threw it to him, it was to the flat. It was on the weak side option route. Um, a lot of big plays. You know, when that weak side option route can hit back to the middle of the field on the slant because uh, for whatever reason the defense plays the route um, outside in, that's, that's such a big play. And, I mean, you've seen it because McCaffrey has taken a lot of those uh, plays uh, – uh, for explosive plays. In fact, I remember there's one against um, when he's still at Stanford against who do they play in the Rose Bowl, like Iowa or something? Yeah, it was Iowa. Yeah, so it's like the first play of the game, right, where he takes that weak side option to the house. Oh like, yeah, 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 that makes sense. So like, yeah, he that's already something that's that's in there. I think they're, you know, maybe they'll they'll run more front side. Uh, option routes i know the saints did a little bit of that um, while brady was there with camara like very little and when i say front side option routes i'm talking about the stuff that the patriots kind of made famous with the haas juke stuff where they'd have you gotcha. know edelman and run that stuff um so camara ran it a bit um but not too much and then this year with lsu he did bring that concept but it was always with a receiver um or the tight end so either with jefferson or or Thad Moss running that option right from the front side, so I could see I could see McCaffrey being that player. But also, I know you guys have some some kind of dynamic receivers that can run that option route from the strong side too. I think one of the things is so so to answer your question, I guess like there wasn't like a huge package of of running back passing stuff, especially since they didn't run a ton of screens either. Um, right. This was very. This was a downfield passing attack, and the screens came when they needed to. You know, we looked at the national championship game. There was a nice receiver screen that pretty much might have put the 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 game away for LSU in the, in the third quarter. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it wasn't. It was. It was. Uh, let's get the back out so that we can have a clearer picture of who we want to throw to, but not necessarily throwing to the back. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, that that makes perfect sense. And um. I'm glad you mentioned that too. And and one thing that I've I've read from some of your stuff, and you know I've also seen it uh, mentioned, you know, in different outlets, is how often they would go empty. And I think you can get away with that, especially at the college game, because I think LSU's offensive line was really good. I'm not sure you can get away with that in the NFL. Uh, but I'm curious, is that something that the Saints do a lot too? Uh, just going empty and running these like, you know, from a stack alignment or just a regular alignment and uh, these quick spacing concepts? Is that Something that you could could expect to see in the NFL, or is that you know probably just you know just a college thing? Yeah, I think that the, I mean, the Saints do it a ton, but like you said, it's it's tougher in the NFL, and because LSU did it all the time. I mean, this was this was such a huge part of their offense was mm-hmm. was getting the back out, and whether he was lined up in the backfield or not, you know, getting the back out and going five man protection, and when you have a 
you know, a 22 turning 23 year old redshirt senior quarterback who is, you know, honestly like a, who already has his degree. He's a pseudo, I mean, look, he's a pseudo professional quarterback playing against 19 year olds. Yeah. You could get him to understand uh, where to go with the ball when they're an empty, when they send pressure and stuff. Um, the other thing is, you know, Brady and Ensminger from the sideline were, were calling the protections a lot. So they would go empty. Brady, um, uh, Burrow would look back to the sideline and then they would, you know, get whatever signal. And a lot of times it wasn't necessarily that they were changing the whole play. It was just that they were getting into the right protection. So he would, then he would go tell the O-line and they would make their calls and, and whatever. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you don't have that in the NFL. Right. Uh, so he's going to have to do that himself. Now, you know, whoever the quarterback is for, for Brady in, in Carolina next year is going to have to do that himself. Now, if it's, if it's Cam Newton, no problem because he's, he's been doing it for so long and he's been in the league for so long. But if it's somebody else, then that'll have to take a lot of time. And then you're maybe you don't want to release the back into, into the route as often. And, and then, you know, there's a trickle down effect. So I guess I'm kind of interested to see how that happens. Yeah, for sure. And and that's one thing that, you know, I was interested in too, was I, I guess like th- there's been a lot of talk about whether it is like Sean Payne's offense or whether it's just something that Brady was able to innovate. I'm not sure how much of, you know, the Penn State offense and the Mississippi State offense you've seen over the past like three years under Joe Moorhead, but what type of principles like do you think that he picked up from him that was applied at LSU that potentially could be, you know, carried over? Well, I mean, you know, every almost every run had an RPO attached to it. In fact, I, gotcha. I had probably in like the ninety-five percent of every <laughs> run had had it. Uh, usually, it was that little five-step post, you know, glance post, whatever you want to call it. Right. Um, and then, you know, at the beginning of the year, they had like you know an RPO with like a slot fade that kind of went away. And sometimes there was like that little um, bubble screen to the field. Even that kind of went away a bit. And, you know, in the Oklahoma game, they scored a touchdown where they have glance posts to both sides of the field. And Burrow is reading whichever safety came down and he would throw it. And and the first touchdown to to Jefferson, um, the second passing touchdown, but the first Jefferson touchdown is, um, is on one of these RPOs. I mean, there's so many. And when you have a player like they did at the X receiver and Jamar Chase, who's always going to win his one-on-one matchup, once that safety commits, it's, it's, uh, he's winning it. It's over. It's over. So that was the thing. But, but at the same time, what they did in the running part of those RPO schemes was not incredibly complicated. Um, mm-hmm. At the beginning of the year, there were some plays where they pulled some people. And then, honestly, I, I could be totally off, but I kind of feel like, like the last eight games, the last seven games of the season, I don't think they pulled one lineman one time. So that's something that maybe, you know, he'll have to start doing, uh, kind of vary the run game a little bit more. Um, you know, they did some different stuff with how they used the tight end, whether he was splitting across, whether he was inserting, whether he was just locking on the backside, that type of thing. Um, but really it was either, it was duo and zone and, and then a few other wrinkles on it with a glance post RPO. And that was the running game. And, you know, Clyde made it work. The O-line made it work. Jamar Chase made it work. And then Burrow, obviously, is the trigger man, so he made everything work. 
Yeah, definitely. So I, I mean, think I was... you'll see a more diver- a lot more diversity. Yeah, that, that, that's obviously encouraging to hear. Uh, yeah, I've always been a little surprised that the NFL hasn't really stolen people from the Saints staff. Like, it, it's weird. Carmichael's been there for like ever since Peyton's yeah. probably been there. I think they had. I think there was a quarterbacks coach who was like Detroit's offensive coordinator. Yeah, Detroit. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not, yeah, I think, no. yeah, yeah, I think it was Joe Lombardi um, when Caldwell was hired, you know, f- five years ago. Uh, and I thought, like the Saints, obviously, like they made the playoffs that year. Stafford looked pretty efficient. Um, so I'll be interested, you know, whether it's Cam Newton or whoever they find, um, you know, in the draft or free agency to, to execute the offense and see how it goes. But I guess my final uh, question here is, like, what I know the Saints do this a lot, especially like. You know, going back to like when Sean Payton, you know, first kind of came in the league was, you know, the big slot receiver and kind of creating mismatches with Marcus Colston and, you know, lining up players all over the formation. I mean, did you see that at LSU too? Like whether potentially Jefferson or Chase were lined up in the slot to create mismatches? I know Brady in his introductory press conference, he said something about creating a lot of mismatches and that's sort of what he wants to, you know, accomplish. So, you know, I'm curious what your take on that is. I think, especially early in the year, they kind of lined up in where you'd expect them to line up. So you had, you know, Thad Moss is a tight end, and he's like, you know, usually in like a in the slot or in like a hip alignment uh, off the off the tackle. Jamar Chase is the is the boundary receiver. Terrence Marshall is the field receiver. Jefferson in the slot. Like that's kind of how they lined up, and you know, obviously. That was their base, you know. And then they got really interesting, and then people were lining up all over the place, and then they were motioning out Moss, and he'd play the Z, and then they would put Jamar Chase in the backfield. They put Jefferson in the backfield. Like I said, they motioned out Clyde Edwards-Alert to play field wide receiver. Like So they did a lot of different stuff like that to um, just to kind of window dress a lot of the same concepts that they were running throughout the year. Now, obviously, it, you can do that when when all five of those guys are 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 incredible players. You know, you don't have that on an NFL team where all five are that good. Um, the other thing is that I want to mention is you know LSU played ninety nine percent of their staffs in in eleven personnel, right? So three receivers, a tight end, and a running back. I don't know if you can do that in the NFL. So you might see, so there might be a lot, it's the same concepts, you know, he might run his weak side option and, and um, his doubles concept and, and the deep over and blah, blah, blah. But he can't, I don't think you could just live in 11P in the NFL. So you're going to have to see a lot of different personnel groupings and this and that, you know, even situationally down on the goal line. And else you just never left those personnel groupings, whether it was fourth and one or, or you know, goal line or backed mm-hmm. up or whatever. So that'll be something that um, I'm very curious about how he kind of mixes in some new personnel groupings uh, to keep the defense honest, I guess. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's it's going to be an adjustment. I don't know that the Panthers currently have the personnel to do that, but obviously there's a free agency and draft to come up. So um, we'll see. I mean, final question. Um, I mean, you follow the Saints closely. Uh, you know, a guy that you know could potentially be a free agent. Uh, is Teddy Bridgewater. Um, do you expect him to stay in New Orleans or do you expect him to hit the market? Uh, you know, I always been a big fan of Teddy, um, you know, coming about like in 2012 when he played that remarkable game against um, Florida in the Sugar Bowl. So what do you expect from him? I know it's, I don't, I don't think Drew Brees is going to retire. I expect him to return, but 
I guess, like, do you think Bridgewater is going to remain or he's going to hit the market? I mean, he said that he'll do it. He'll he'll only go somewhere if it's like the perfect fit and whatever, because he really likes New Orleans. So, I, I mean, I'm not going to try and read between the lines, whatever that means. I think that, you know, my take on Teddy is that I started to, I, I man, it's tough. He didn't, <laughs> he really wasn't that good uh in in his in his you know five game uh starting um streak there where 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 breeze was injured but then you look at him and he does a lot of things well and you're like the biggest problem is that he just refuses to throw the ball sometimes down the field in fact not just sometimes often (laughs) so you're like but what teddy just throw it like good things are going to happen because you're you know you're accurate and you you seem to make the right reads he just refuses to throw to people. And I'm not even necessarily just down the field. I remember I, in the top, off the top of my head, there's a slant slant route against Dallas, wide open. You know, it's a three-yard slant route. Just throw it, and it's, you know, he gets tackled. He gets six yards. You, you, you know, go to the next play. And he just, he just won't throw it. <laughs> so, like, I see a lot of good things with him. His pocket presence is really good. The accuracy is fine. Um, you know, he can throw the ball down the field, uh, you know, well enough. But if he doesn't ever throw the ball, I don't know how you can, you know, consistently win, you know, the the, the ten plus games you need to to be a to be a factor in uh, for the, you know to win the Super Bowl. I just I don't know. So I, yeah. I like him. I think I'd like to see him break out of his shell because I think he's a really good guy and he just seems very lovable. But uh, I don't know if that'll happen. I just I just don't know if that'll ever happen. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's weird because like I was watching the game against Jacksonville. He didn't play well that game. It was a weird game, but they nope. you know, still were able to win. And then the next week, I thought he played pretty well against the Bears. I don't know what. Yeah, you know, that was probably his best game. Yeah, and I was like, this guy's throwing down the field. He's like, you know, finding guys all over. I think he would do that one deep ball at Ted Ginn. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. It's going to be interesting. I'm, I was just kind of reading between the lines. I don't know if uh, Newton will be back. And if he's not, you know, I figure they might look at a guy that, you know, worked with Brady for a year in New Orleans. But, um, but yeah, who knows? Uh, but thanks again for joining me. I really appreciate it. Uh, I think you provided some really good insight. Um, yeah, I know you'll probably still be watching from afar to see how Brady's offense does next year. But, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but yeah, I, I really appreciate it. And uh, thanks again for joining. And can you just tell people where to find you on Twitter or any other um, media outlet? Uh, just at Seth Galina, S-E-T-H-G-A-L-I-N-A. That's me on Twitter. All right. Well, thanks again for joining. Okay. Joined by Cody Alexander of matchquarters.com. He's also the author of three really fascinating books on defense. One of them I just bought recently. Um, I recommend uh, everyone who's interested in defense learning where the game is currently going to go check that out. Um, you can find the link on his Twitter. It's at the underscore coach underscore A. And he's a really good follow in general. Follows the game really well, um, mainly at the college uh, and sometimes the professional level. But the reason I wanted to bring him in is to kind of dissect Phil Snow's defense. Um, you know, he was a defensive coordinator at Baylor the last three years. So I'm curious to get his perspective on it. I know, Cody, you have some experience 
think you were you worked at Baylor, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Actually. So I worked as a defensive GA for three years under uh, Phil Bennett, uh, and obviously under the Art Bryles uh, kind of reign when he was there. I was there from eleven to uh, thirteen. Okay, great. So yeah, I mean, certainly some interesting perspective. And I guess the first thing I want to start off with is like, what was like your first like experience with Phil Snow and like his defense coming from Temple? Because obviously, you know, when you're coming with the new coaching staff, there's gonna be all sorts of questions. Yeah, um, I actually, uh, I keep track of Baylor. Uh, you know, it's, I, I got my, even though I GA there, I mean, I, I got my master's degree there. I, uh, my, I have family ties there. My sister-in-law went to Baylor. Um, so for me, I'm kind of, it's not, it wasn't just a job for me when I was there. Uh, and I'm also an hour away. Um, I work for a guy who was on staff with Joey McGuire. Okay. Joey McGuire, if uh, you if you follow the Baylor coaching search, that's you know obviously they hired uh, Dave Aranda of LSU, but kind of Joey McGuire was kind of the home the hometown favorite to get the game. He's a Texas high school football coach. He coached at Cedar Hill, which is a school not very far from where I coach right now. But I work with a guy on staff, so my first uh, my first experience with Phil Snow was actually going and visiting them after their first year at Baylor mm-hmm. uh, when they didn't have a lot of success, obviously. Um, they were trying to figure out the Big 12, trying to figure out. And just what kind of struck me was that he is willing to change. He's not a system guy. He has his own system. He has a way of doing things. And I'll, I'll get to that as we talk about kind of what he did at Baylor. But, you know, my experience, uh, you know, I watched a lot of football. He was really good at Temple. Um, they did a really good job at Temple, able to build kind of a uh, solid defense there. And then at Baylor, you know, the Big 12 is a different animal. And so mm-hmm. we actually went and visited them after that first year he was there. And they were trying to work out how can they adjust their defense to fit what the Big 12 was was like, which is air rate heavy, uh, heavy on, uh, you know, crossers and things like that, deep crossers, deep shots, and how they were able to kind of uh, pair that with the defense he already went, he already was running. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I read some stuff from not only you, but uh, Ian Boyd. He had a good write-up on Phil Snow's defense uh, I think right. in 2018 when he was studying them. So uh, there's a lot of really good content out there. But I think this year was like the year it all came together for them, uh, especially you know on the defense side of the ball. And you know we had this conversation, um, you know, a couple last week I think with uh, our you know our good friend Space Coyote. And yep. you mentioned how they are a big cover one, cover three team, and it's a little different than Iowa State's um, odd done. So, like, what can you get into like the basics of like what their foundations are and like how they kind of extrapolate it? Yeah. So Phil Snow's base defense. If you go all the way back to Temple, you go look at what they did in 2017. You go look at what they did in 2018 in Baylor. They're still very much a hybrid three down team now what does the word hybrid mean that can mean a lot of different things uh to me what he did was he transitioned from and really what you see mostly in the nfl which is why i think his transition the nfl be seamless he can cop in a three down and then the next snap they can be in a four down uh and all all that really entails is they move kind of the hybrid d in they or and they put uh his hand in the dirt um, and kind of make adjustments off of that. But what 
he really is trying to do is is what you see a lot of three four hybrid teams do a lot of and and two he is a cover he is a single high base guy um they're not running a ton of uh quarters concepts that you normally see within the big 12 um so for me looking at what he was trying to get to and what they eventually got to this year was kind of that really he's just dropping an extra guy into the box and they're kind of wor- making it work within an odd stack you know most three down teams and really most any team has kind of a dime package that they run on third down anyway and now he what he's doing is how can we just live in it as a base and that's really what they did uh in 20 and 2019 and changing the front wise you know he based out of a 505 which gives you two DNs outside the tackles, and then you have a, a nose in the middle and kind of just hammering and compressing the line and making everything squeeze out to these hybrid linebackers that were kind of run that could run things down. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, I mean, it, it seemed really like it, it. I mean, obviously, it was difficult for Oklahoma um, both times as they play them this year. What was your impression of how they were able to? Because I think obviously, like most people would recognize Oklahoma as like a blue chip program offensively. They're probably like wow. one of the best, the best year after year with, um, with what they got going over there. So, what was your take on how they performed against them? You know, I felt like they did a, a really good job against Oklahoma. The, the problem with the odd dime and kind of the structure of that, there's, you know, you're basically in a strong rotation, meaning that you're kind of always rotating strong to the field, regardless of if you're in a covered three or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, or it, you're just the way that it fits is that the quarterback run game becomes an issue. I think if you look at uh, a lot of the Big 12, you're seeing a lot more uh, kind of dual threat quarterbacks in the league, which if you go five years, uh, kind of in the in the past, you're not you're seeing kind of stand and deliver guys, big quarterbacks stand in the pocket when they need a run, they can. You know, they're kind of more mobile, but they're they're slingers and they're slinging it vertically down the field. And I think if you watch what Texas has done with El, uh, Ellinger, uh, what Oklahoma State's doing with their current quarterback, mm-hmm. you know, even Purdy is running the ball. And then what Baylor did with Brewer is running running the football with the quarterback. And I think a lot of that has to do with the makeup of the league defensively. Um, in terms of where were where was Oklahoma able to find it? You know, Oklahoma and 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 really Georgia used the blueprint the blueprint that Oklahoma had put out there, and that is outside throws in front of the corners. Yep towards the sideline and let your let your receiver who's a better athlete than the corner that Baylor has kind of make up uh the difference and then you know attacking them in the middle of the field underneath the safety but above the linebackers with with play action which is really that's what kind of everybody's going to you know and getting that athlete into space in the middle of the field and then then making the the secondary chase them down. I think that's kind of what Oklahoma tried to do in success because – and two, using different formations. You know, they hit them on a big pop pass. I think it was in the um, – I think it was in the Big 12 Championship. They hit them in a, a pop pass out of a, a diamond formation or a full house formation where you have three backs in the backfield. Uh, kind of using that aggression against them and using some things on the outside. Cause to me, that's, that's where you're kind of weak is it forces the throws outside, but you, if you can complete them underneath, now you've got receivers that are able to find some space and kind of make force one-on-one tackles. 
Yeah, that that yeah, that certainly makes sense. And I think that's where you're kind of hoping that your defense can uh, do their job, especially individual and individual matchup. Um, I want to talk about some of the pressure packages they um, inserted into their defense. I know you've mentioned that they had you know a cross dog from a stack and also their crash pressure. Can you yeah. get into each of those and maybe some more if there's something that kind of stands out to you about some of their blitz concepts? Yeah, so you're going to see a lot of the typical fire zones that you see out of a 3-4 guy, you know, guy, you know, heavy pressure on one side, guy dropping out on the other side, uh, and he'll do it from a cover one or a cover three. Uh, and And to me, what he does is really no different than a lot of the things that you're seeing a lot of these three, four hybrid guys do. So the cross dog is a little bit different in a three, three down than it is in a four down because, and, and all a cross dog means is that you're crossing two inside linebackers. Right. And you're really just picking an interior offensive lineman. So in a, usually in a four, three, you see that on the center. Cause you have, you'll have two threes or a two eye and a three and you'll rock that guy out. And you're basically trying to pull kind of like the parting of the red sea. You're trying to pull everything out and then you're crossing that guy and, and kind of putting a, a two for one on the center in a three, four, you're attacking more of the guard. Uh, Cause you have a nose and you can't, you can, but it doesn't, you know, it's also a run blitz as well. So you, you kind of want to keep sound in the run, the run fit. So you don't, and two, a lot of times your nose is, a bigger guy you don't want him act necessarily rocking all the way out for contain and so on a three four you really attack the guards uh and so it's it's the same and then like you were saying the crash blitz is bringing guys from the outside uh and really kind of knifing in uh and then kind of crashing down on one side forcing it to go to the other way uh where you've kind of loaded the coverage in that gotcha and what would you say or like I guess, like speaking from a personnel's perspective, what kind of athletes or players do you think really like fits this defense when you're looking maybe especially on the back seven, the linebackers and the secondary? Yeah, if you're going to play the odd dime, which I would probably say, you know, that's the one thing that when you do commit to something like this, when you go to a different place and you may not run it, but now you've got a whole package built on it. I think that you're going to see it. I think that he'll bring it to to Carolina and that he'll use it on probably more or less like a third down package or a long yards package, much like he did early on at Baylor. Um, but in terms of what you need to run this is that you need, if you look at the the makeup of what he had, he had a true kind of a four I five D end. He had a true big time D end in Lynch. Uh, and he's the one that was, that was the one that was getting a, a bunch of sacks. And then on the other side, he had more of a kind of a speed rusher, uh, not as big as Lynch, but more of a speed rusher. And then obviously in the middle, he had kind of a plugger nose. Uh, and I think in the three, four hybrid, you need, you need that. And you got, need a guy that can play inside. You need a true five, which is what they had in Johnson. And then that's kind of that speed rush bull rush guy. And then you need an edge player, a guy that can stand up and play in coverage or a guy that can be a pass rush specialist. And mm-hmm. I think that's where you're seeing a lot of NFL teams go is, and really that's more of a, a newer term within scouting circles is the edge player somebody that's playing on the edge especially with more and more people going to the tight front with that stand-up edge player to the boundary or away from the passing strength you know inside you you can live with a true plugger mike um and then you need kind of what's what has become more of the norm as a money backer 
or a will linebacker that's really super athletic that can move around and kind of follows the tight end. And then obviously with the NFL going more 11 personnel, you need a, a true nickel corner or a, a kind of a nickel safety that is really good in coverage, but can also hold up in the run game if if asked to do so. Yeah, that makes sense. And just speaking from a big picture perspective here, it does seem like this defense takes about a year or two to master from you know a player's perspective. And I think that's kind of the transition you saw with how they were able to accomplish it at Baylor from year one, year two to year three. Do you expect that to also occur in the NFL or maybe like could it be could the transition happen a little quicker because the players could be smarter? Yeah, I think it's it's a little bit of a, a double edged sword because yes, in the NFL you have a little bit higher level athlete. Um you do have a little bit more time with them just in terms of they're not going to class, they they just do yeah. football. Um, but I do think there's a little bit in the NFL, a little bit over reliance on man coverage. Uh, which is very simple. I mean, man, what's the simplest thing to do is man coverage because it's I've got that guy and I go mm-hmm. everywhere with him. So I don't think and really what I what he ran at Temple and what he ran early at Baylor is what I probably envision him seeing. Do I think he carries some of the odd dime stuff over? I, like I said, I think it'll be more of a package deal. Um, but I do feel like the transition for him, he meshes well with what a lot of these players have already experienced and what what they've run uh so to me i think the transition won't be very won't be very difficult that makes sense and speaking on that the man coverage part he does do a lot of or maybe you could share with me does he do a lot of like pattern matching or spot drop like what's your experience with that i think the three four stuff is more of a kind of a spot drop zone match they're they're working to their zone but they're not going to carry a guy all all the way across obviously man is man um you know i think at baylor they just didn't have the guys on the edge to really lock down their best players in the secondary were were those safeties Mm -hmm. um i do feel like at the nfl level you probably see a little bit more man um you know, the cover three stuff that, that he was running is, it was you know, kind of that soft cover three underneath coverage. But again, you're dealing with a little bit higher level of an athlete. You know, coverage wise, is he running some quarters? I think everybody runs some version of quarters and, and, the, and the pattern matching and, and things like that. Um, but that's not what he bases out of. I think right. you get to trouble when you don't when you don't live in one. Like either you're a cover three team, man, you know, you're a, you're a match cover three team or you're a match quarters team. Uh, when you try and do both, uh, you know, if you're not doing, if you're not relating them uh, in coverage, then that's where you get into trouble. But I, you know, to me in my experience from what I saw, they were not much of a quarters team when they did. It was more of a trap two concept, kind of like the Ember, you know, the Tampa two stuff that right. you see with uh, the Iowa state running. Okay, great. Yeah, well, thank you again for you know, your insight here. Um, I really appreciate it. And, and why don't you tell everyone where to follow you on Twitter? Um, because I think you are a fantastic follow on your book, Match Quarters, a Modern Guide Book to Split Field Coverages. It's available now on Amazon and paperback. And I think you have it on Kindle too, correct? Yes. Um, so yeah, definitely check that out. I bought one during the holidays. It's a really good read. So yeah, is there anything you want to plug? Yeah, I mean, I have uh, you can find all my books on uh, Amazon uh, on my author page. 
or you can get to them through my website at matchquarters.com. You can follow me on Twitter. Uh, the handle's at the underscore coach underscore A. Um, and I, I appreciate you having me on. All right. Thank you.